The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The word of the Lord. So one of my favorite quotes from history comes from September 30, 1938. British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, you've heard of him, he returned from his negotiations with Nazi Germany, and these were his words. He said, my good friends, for the second time in our history, a British Prime Minister has returned from Germany. And then here he says, I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. Peace for our time. And you know why that's ironic, don't you? Less than a year later, Hitler invaded Poland and World War II had begun. Um, I think that quote just wraps up the human experience with peace. We want it. We think we can get it. And we don't really seem to ever have it. Um, Just as we need peace, we want it, I've accomplished it. Yeah, right. No peace, and it's still elusive today, isn't it? I mean, think about peace on, on every level. Think about the deepest regions of your heart. Do you always enjoy a sense of peace? A sense that um, you're thriving and that everything in your relationships with God, with others, and, and your body and the world is right. Do you have peace in your heart? I just saw an article last week about how Americans are more anxious than ever. We don't have peace in our hearts, and we know from just our relationships, our, our workplaces, our, the politics of our nation, the world at large, 
peace, boy, it is, it's, it's elusive. It's hard to grasp. We know we need it. We don't have it. We think we can get it, but it seems elusive. Uh, it's wonderful to see then, isn't it, that the God of the Bible is often called the God of peace. It's actually like a title for our God. The God of peace. Isn't that beautiful? So the next month is kind of like a Christmas preaching series. We're going to be looking at the unique and wonderful peace that only God can give. So I'm excited about that. But before we get there, we're going to push on a little further in our study of the Gospel of Luke. If you've been with us for very long, you know that's what we've been working through for, I guess, at least a year. It's been awesome, hasn't it, to see this eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And you'll remember as we go through this Gospel that peace is one of the themes. In fact, let's go ahead and remember one of the, you know, the most famous Bible verses in the world, right? The angels come to sing about Jesus' birth. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Peace, right? And then it's like, it's probably, I didn't do a study on this. It's probably the most popular Christmas card, okay? Peace on earth. So that's why, with all that background, it's really shocking, almost overwhelming to read the words of Jesus in our passage this morning. It almost doesn't even seem like Jesus, or at least like kind of urban legends about what Jesus is like. Did you hear what he said? He actually said, I did not come to bring peace. Then he says, I want to cast fire. He says, I came to bring division in your closest relationships. And so you're, you're left kind of reeling. Like, first of all, the apparent contradiction. Wait, Prince of Peace, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, angels, peace on earth. And then Jesus here, uh, fire please. No peace. Division. What are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to take this? Um, it almost has like a, it's, it's, it's intense, isn't it? It's edgy. Uh, it's pressing. What do we do? Well, to begin, as I wrestled with this, I think there's, a, there's an assumption that the Bible has that we sometimes forget that we need to remember. And as you look at the, the storyline of Scripture, the arc of the Bible and what history is about and where it's going, there's a deep assumption we almost never take quite seriously enough, and that is the reality of sin and rebellion and what it has done. So originally, yeah, the idea is we are meant to enjoy peace with God and one another. That's what we're created for. But when humanity rebelled and we said, God, we don't want you, get out of the way, uh, that's when uh, peace was stained, peace was broken, peace was ruined. So there's, there's words like we have enmity with God. We don't like him. We don't, we don't want to be close to him. Um, he has a just uh, complaint against us as a holy and pure God. So, so peace has been broken. And then as we seek our satisfaction and joy in other things, a, a huge part of our sin is this inward, prideful self-orientation. That by, by nature, by definition, is going to break peace with one another. We're in a broken place. And so what, what that helps us with is we realize that peace is not automatic. It's not natural in our present situation. It's not even something we're entitled to. Uh, we're in a context of brokenness, of lostness. 
And so for peace to be given, it's going to have to be regained. It's going to have to be worked for. It's going to have to be accomplished. It's going to be sought. In fact, I think it's true. Peace only comes through a painful process. Peace only comes through a painful process. So maybe we could say in our passage today, Jesus is talking about prerequisites for peace. He did come to bring peace. But there's a process first. It's a certain kind of peace. And to enjoy his peace, we have to enter into the process. We have to engage in this process. So I think there's, I think there's four steps here in this passage, prerequisites for peace. And so I want to use the word check as a verb for all of these points. So the, that word check, you know, check in, check on something. Uh, dictionary says to check something is to examine something in, to, in order to determine its accuracy, quality, or condition, or to protect the presence of something, to verify something. So check, uh, engage in this process. Number one, check your treasure. That's part of what Jesus is talking about here. In order to have peace, you have to check your treasure. What is your treasure? What should be your treasure? Number two, Check the time. Check the time. Are you aware of uh, where you're at? What's happening? What's coming? To have peace, you have to check the time. Number three, you have to check in with your accuser. Check in with your accuser. We'll see what he means by that. And number four, check out the heart of Jesus. Look, examine the heart of Jesus. So to have peace, prerequisites for peace, number one, check your treasure. Number two, check the time. Number three, check in with your accuser. Number four, check the heart of Jesus. And we'll find ourselves with peace. So first of all, check your treasure. Let's dive right in. Look, look at verse 51. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? Most of us would have been like, well, yeah. <laughs> no, I tell you, but rather, what did he come to bring in this verse, in this context, whatever that means? What did he come to bring? End of verse 51. Division. I'm a line in the sand, Jesus says. I'm a separator. I divide. And then, and then he just talks about, we don't have to go into detail, 52 to 53, he talks about the very closest relationships the very closest relationships, the place where you would want and hopefully have the greatest unity. Um, in some cases, Jesus will be division there. So we can go ahead and just, just admit right now, this is, this is painful because maybe all of us in some way are living this, tasting this, the division that comes. Let's keep pressing in. Why do, well, let's look at this. It's a complimentary text in Matthew 10. I think it's the same or at least a very similar conversation. Matthew 10, verses 34 to 39. Get a little more uh, of the idea of what Jesus is talking about, I think. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword in this case. I came to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now look at verses 30, 37 to 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Just grab onto a few things first. This end of verse 38. What does Jesus want you to find? Don't forget this. End of 38. Whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. What does he want you to find? Your life. He wants you to find your life. He wants you to find your satisfaction, your treasure, your joy. Everything he says here is for your joy. He wants you to find your life. There is nothing in here that is suffering for suffering's sake. We are not masochists as Christians. There is only a suffering sometimes for a greater joy. Jesus wants your joy in this. Do you see that? He wants your joy. But then he continues to say, basically, if you love anything more than me, you don't even get it. If you love anything more than me, you don't even get me. You haven't actually understood who I am and what I am. You don't see it. So this is so challenging, isn't it? Folks, is Christianity just a list of religious facts you're supposed to memorize and go, yes, I think those are historically true? No way. No way. Do we have propositional facts that tell us the truth? Oh, yeah, for sure. But ultimately, to be a Christian is to say, Jesus, you are my treasure. You are my treasure. It's amazing that Jesus talks like this, isn't it? It shows you the uniqueness of who he is. You know, if you imagine any friend coming over for dinner, you know, you have somebody over for dinner, over for Thanksgiving, and they're like, hey, if you want to have a relationship with me, I need to be more valuable to you than your mama and your kiddo and your best friend and, heck, even your own life. Are you in? You want to be friends? Who would you let talk to you like that? You know, we would say about them, right? You are nutcracker prideful to think that you're so wonderful that you could come in and tell me that everything else in my life should be subservient to you. And that's the only way I'll be happy. Folks, do you hear that that is exactly what Jesus just said? So the first question you need to ask is, who is he that he can talk like this? Who is he that he can talk like this? If you look, I think, just take a survey of all the philosophers and counselors and religious teachers out there in the world, and they will have a basic message, which is, let me show you the way. Follow this, love this, try this. Let me show you, I'll give you counsel. And here's where Jesus stands apart as so unique. He doesn't say, let me show you the way. What does he say? I am the way. I am the treasure. I am the satisfaction. I am the joy. And so you just have to ultimately ask this question, is it true? Because Jesus is either very, very cruel in this passage or very, very loving. If he's not the treasure, if he's just another teacher, or advisor, 
For him to say, make everything subservient to me, I'm the only one who can give you life, then he is cruel. He's a liar. Throw him out. Let's be done. But if he is actually the eternal son of God and the beautiful, glorious one, that means that for him to truly love you is to offer himself to you and to offer himself to you with enough reality to where he tells you exactly what kind of treasure he is. And so he's simply saying to you, the only way to take me for who I am is to realize I'm the treasure. I'm everything. I'm your joy. I'm your satisfaction. I'm your life. Is it true? Is it true? Many people say, yeah, that's true. Jesus, you're my treasure. Hopefully, all of us. Hopefully, you're at least like, I want you to be my whole treasure. I struggle with this, but Lord Jesus, yeah, I believe it. You're my treasure. And folks, here's where the division comes. When Jesus is your treasure, and he's not the treasure of those in your closest relationships, there's a pull. There's a pull. And so part of it will be, when he's your treasure, it changes your life and your habits and how you live and what you value and what you want to be like. And that will cause this commotion, this division. You know, I'm especially sensitive to this, hanging out with some Christian friends overseas. And there are contexts right now in the world where if you become a Christian, you literally will lose your family. And in Jesus' day, if anyone would claim Jesus as Lord, they were kicked out of the synagogue. The Gospels tell us that. So you're really, you've lost your societal place. You've, you've lost your respect. You, you can't even join in. Division. And so it tests the treasure idea. Thankfully, for most of us, we don't lose everything like that so immediately when we love Jesus. But the question is, if it was have Jesus and lose everything else, is he enough of a treasure to where that would still be worth it? And I want to be somebody who says, boy, I've never really experienced that, but I hope so. Yeah, I think he's worth it. And so please don't ever take this passage like, Jesus doesn't want you to love your parents, okay? You know, we could, we, could, we could screw with this passage, couldn't we really mess it up? Hey, Mom, I'm supposed to love Jesus more than you. I don't, know, I don't obey you anymore, okay? And a wise mama will be like, Jesus says honor your father and mother, okay? Or, uh, or uh, you become a Christian, and so now you kind of demean and despise non-Christian friends, and you're like, I'm supposed to divide from you. No, okay? That is the opposite of what the New Testament is talking about. We could go to a thousand places for that, but, but look at Romans 12, 17, just as one example. Christians, we want to live in peace with everyone, yeah? Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. That would be enough for you to suck on all week this week, okay? Somebody does evil, evil to you, you're like, well, I deserve to whatever to them, no. We're supposed to love peace so much, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Repay no one evil for evil, ever. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So we want to live in a way where it's respectable to the world around us, even those who aren't Christians. We, we want peace. Look at verse 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. So Christians, we're not looking for division, kind of being jerks and being like, in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. The issue is treasure. If you love Jesus more than anything, that will echo in your life and how you live and what you love and what you say, what you want. And by definition, others, not everybody's gonna have that treasure. And so sometimes it might be a persecuting kind of thing or sometimes it just might be a divide on what you live for. There's going to be division. And so when I say, if you want God and his peace, number one, Check your treasure. This is what we're talking about. Jesus is saying, do you love me more than anything else? Because if you don't, you don't really understand who I am. You're not coming to me honestly. I'm not just another teacher with good advice. I'm the treasure. Make sense? So for some of us, you know, maybe you're a Christian. Awesome, 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 awesome. But maybe you're, it's kind of landing on you. You know what? I thought it was just believe a fact, and now you're telling me that really to be a Christian is to love Jesus as my treasure? Sort of. Are you saved by how well you love Jesus as your treasure? I hope not. <laughs> I will not be saved. I'm saved by trusting in him. He's the one who loved the Father the way I'm supposed to love God, right? And yet, if you are a Christian, will you grow and pursue the reality that Jesus is your ultimate treasure? Yes. And if you refuse that, if you say, no, 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 I'm not into that, is it valid to say, am I really a Christian? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Check your treasure. Prerequisite to peace. Number two, check the time. Check the time. Look at what Jesus says in verse 49. <laughs> I came to cast fire on the earth, and I wish it were already kindled. Are you, are you allowed to talk like this? Again, it's all about who he is. It's all about who he is. Um, we shouldn't talk like this. It is not our job <laughs> to do this kind of a thing. This is all about who he is. If you look throughout scripture, the theme of fire is God's purifying judgment. It's his purifying judgment. So sometimes there's an issue of like a, a farmer with the wheat and the chaff, okay? And so the wheat is valuable. We keep that. The chaff, you know, it's a little flaky stuff. It floats away. You, you burn that mess. You, you purify your yard, okay, by burning the, the mess and you keep what is valuable. So, so fire is like this... Uh, a purifying judgment gets rid of evil, gets rid of the dross, and it refines the valuable. So we, we want fire for gold. It doesn't ruin the gold. It makes it more pure, more beautiful. So fire is this purifying judgment. And Jesus is said it, saying, I'm ready for this. And again, folks, this is his love. Have you ever had a moment when you're sick and tired of the injustice and the pain and the suffering of this world. That is how Jesus is feeling in this moment. He has come 
to save his people and the massive crowds of people, even though they grew up with the scriptures in their hands, are rejecting him. And he's feeling what's coming very soon, the cross. This is an intense moment. At the end, we're gonna look at his heart. And he's saying, man, I wish it was over. I wish I could hit fast forward and get to when I come back the second time and I fix this mess and I, and I burn in a way, however that works, this broken world, not to destroy it forever, but to make a new one that's beautiful, that's glorious, that's righteous, where we live together in love and peace and justice, peace with God, peace with one another. Jesus is saying, I want that to come. I want it now. I want to end evil and injustice. I want to bring righteousness. And if we understand him that way, how can we not say, come, Lord Jesus. Let's go. We're ready. In that context of judgment that is coming, so so think about it. He wants it to come already. Guess what that means? It is going to come There's going to be a day of justice. There's going to be a day of that fire. It's coming, right? Look what he says now in verse 54. He said to the crowds. Now we remember these crowds, these are religious people who tend to hate Jesus because they're so self-righteous. He tells them about their sin and their need for him and their need for repentance. And so it's, it's the ironic reality we've seen throughout Luke, right? The prostitutes and the tax collectors flocked to Jesus because they kind of already knew they were sinners and they were amazed by his grace. <laughs> the self-righteous who think they're good without him, they're the ones who end up killing him because the idea that he says that you're broken and you need me, they, their pride can't handle that. So he's talking to these crowds that in general have rejected him. Look at what he says in verse 54. When you see a, crowd, a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower's coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there'll be scorching heat, and it happens. Now, we could relate to uh, Palestine a little bit. What happens to us when the wind comes off the, the east for us? You know what's coming, right? The Santa Ana's, right? Hello, allergies, skin problems, that hot, smoky, okay, wind from the east. Hey, I, I know you're all weather channel people. No, you're not. You don't even need to be. Wind from the east, you know what's coming. What's coming? It's gonna be hot, okay? He's saying, listen, you put two and two together all the time. You put two and two together all the time. You've seen patterns of evidence and how they work, and you make conclusions, and they're decent ones. You know when it looks like this rain, when it looks like that wind. You know you put two and two together all the time. Verse 56, what does he call them? You hypocrites. Lately, that's been Jesus' favorite word for the crowds. You hypocrites. Now, he doesn't just throw out the word hypocrite out of nowhere. Why does he say hypocrite? Well, hypocrite has the idea of like faker in it, right? Disingenuous. You're pretending one thing, but that's not really you. And so last time he called people hypocrites, they cared so much about external holiness. Remember, like tithing their spice rack? And he said, okay, if you know about God's holiness outwardly, why aren't you tithing your heart? Your bitterness, your anxiety, your your unforgiveness. So he calls that hypocrisy. You know I'm holy out here. Why do you not think I'm holy in here? Same thing here. You take evidence and you make a conclusion all the time. And here's where we need context, okay? He says in verse 56, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? What does Jesus mean by the present time? 
It's the time when I'm here, he's saying. His first sermon to the, in his little hometown synagogue was re- reading from Isaiah, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me to save, to liberate. And then he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here. So if you back it up, this whole society is supposedly waiting for the Messiah to come and bring peace. They want him to come. They want him to reign. And now he's come. The time is here. And how do they respond to him, generally speaking? You remember they were actually calling him demon-possessed. They, why? They could not argue with the reality of his miracles and his power. And so they had to somehow sl- find a way to slander him and get out from under him. And so he's saying, hypocrites, you look at evidence all the time and you make good conclusions. And here I've come with all the evidence you could possibly imagine that I am the Christ and you reject me. You can't interpret the time. Despite all the evidence, you won't trust yourself to me. Despite all the evidence, you won't have me as your treasure. Despite all the evidence, you're keeping me at arm's length. Despite all the evidence, you want to live for yourself. You don't want me as your king. Can you not interpret the time? Why is time so important? Remember uh, in Isaiah, where is it? I'm spitballing right here. It's not on the slides. Seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that mean? Seek the Lord while he may be found. You have a window right now where God is talking to you through his word. He is offering you grace right now. You have a window. But the window is going to close. Look what, he, look what Jesus says to Israel in Luke 19.42. Luke 19.42. It's a lot of chapters away, but time-wise, it's not that long from, from where we are in Luke 12. Luke 19.42. Would that you, Israel, even you, had known on this day the things that make for what? Peace. I wanted to give you peace. But look what he says. But now they are what? Hidden from your eyes, your windows closed. Your hearts are hard. And it's over now. Now, I would never want to sit in God's shoes and say when that window is open or closed for anyone in this room. I know from Scripture, at least the day you die is the end of the close of the major window, right? That's judgment time for you. There's given once for person to live and then judgment so the window will close when Jesus comes back that's the that's the final close right it's judgment it's fire it's time but there's more than that in all these texts you guys you know I remember I used to say some scary things when I was a kid I used to say I'll follow Jesus when I get older I remember that I'll follow Jesus when I get older but I want to try this first what was my treasure? It wasn't Jesus. 
I'm so thankful to God that he kept that window open. And that in his mercy, I was able to repent more solidly, (laughs) fully, uh, consistently. But there's a warning here from everybody who hears it. There's a warning here for everyone who hears it. Right now, like there's a window, right? This is an age of grace. Jesus is saying, come to me, I'll save you. Repent, turn to me. Even right now, this moment is a moment of grace for all of us. We're hearing God's word. We're gonna see what Jesus has done. We're gonna hear the invitation. Anybody, whoever you are, come right now, come. I'll save you. I'll give you my peace. There's a window and it's open. And so Jesus' word here is, can you read the time? Now is the time. Look how Paul talks to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It was 2,000 years ago, the idea is the same. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's dangerous to be like, yeah, I think that's true. I'll go seek it later. You don't know that. And even the idea of it, isn't it insulting? Isn't it insulting? God, you're just good enough for me to be slightly intrigued by you, but not enough for me to actually want you. Ah, I've said that. And that is deep, nasty sin. I have demeaned God. But anybody else in here? I mean, some of you maybe are in this right now. God, you're good enough for me to think that I might love you later. It's a dangerous place to be. The window might close. One day they'll be hidden from your eyes, and this is how I've seen it work. Somebody who is interested, you meet with them again, you meet with them again, and finally they go, you know what, this is meaningless to me, I don't believe it. And you say, oh gosh, I hope the window didn't close. Okay, so how do you apply this? The point of this is not to think of all your friends and wonder how long their window is open, okay? (laughs) It's not your business, okay? Your business is love them now, right? (laughs) Share the gospel with them as wisely as you can now. That's your business, love them now. The key is, hey, are you in that middle ground? Who's he talking to there, did you see it? And he said to the crowds. These are people who are still kinda like, not quite a disciple yet. He says to the crowds, the people in the middle ground, they're still coming to listen, but they're kinda like, no, you're not my treasure. Check the time. Judgment's coming, the window's open. All right, number three, check in with your accuser. Um, This illustration's directly connected to that last thing Jesus was saying, it starts in verse 57. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you'll never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So Jesus uses an illustration from his time, a very harsh reality called the debtor's prison. You're in a lot of debt and you haven't paid it. You made mistakes, you haven't paid it. And so the magistrate's taking you to the judge. And the idea is if you get into that room where you're sitting in front of the judge and the law lands on you, you're gonna go to the debtor's prison and you and I, can, we can all imagine how good your chances are to pay off your debt while you're in debtor's prison. You're not making tons of money while you're rotting in debtor's prison. It's over for you. Common common idea for Jesus' audience. And so Jesus is is using this as an illustration, right? The idea is you don't want to get into that room with the debt 
Don't get into the room with the debt. What does he say? Settle with the magistrate on the way. Can we work this out, me and you, somehow, before we get in the room, before the judge? Can we take care of this somehow? Because if you get in that room, man, with that debt, it's over. Can we take care of this somehow? And this is Jesus' example. And he says, judge for yourselves what is right. What are we supposed to do with this? That's a common theme in Scripture as well. What's another way we talk about our sin? Debt. Debt. Uh, Paul says, owe, no, owe nothing to anyone except love, which means you owe love to your neighbor. Okay? How many of you have some debts of not giving the love that your neighbor deserved? I'm, I'm swamped in debt on that one all by itself. How much more do you owe the God who made you? Love and honor and praise and worship and devotion, he's meant to be your treasure. And how many times have we demeaned, denied, despised the treasure? What do you owe? People even today say, you know what? I think my good will outweigh the bad when I stand before God. <laughs> As if God works on like a 51%, you know? <laughs> you, were a, you were a jerk 49 times and, and sort of good 51. Oh, all right. I mean, do you even want a God like that? Are you okay with that from your friends? You know, from, really? Your good's gonna outweigh your bad? What, what is that? That's not justice. Or, or uh, you know, I'm a good person. God's gonna judge me based on, you know, we talked about Hitler. I was no Hitler. Do you, do you really think that's holy God's bar for you to, you know, step over? Like, isn't that pretty low? As long as you're not Hitler, that's cool. I mean, that's, Really? Do we, but we, we demean God so much, don't we? Our, every human heart does it. Ah, oh, you don't really care that much. Jesus is saying to you, oh man, he cares. Look at, the, look at the way he talks about justice. You will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Penny. And so when God the judge wants justice, he's going to bring his just wrath on every penny of sin and evil and destruction. And so Jesus, this is a loving warning. He's like, bro, you do not want to get into that room before the judge and think, oh, it'll probably work out okay. You'll never get out. This is what he's talking about hell right here, isn't he? You'll never get out. You'll never get out. Check in with your accuser. And here's the the. The kind of funny part of the illustration is on this road before you get there, you could talk with this magistrate character who might work out a deal with you. There's still hope, Jesus is saying. There's a magistrate character who might work out a deal with you so you don't have to get into the room like that and answer for your debt. What does that mean? Well, you have a suspicion, don't you? Look at verse 50. Check the heart of Jesus. Check the heart of Jesus. Verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You get a picture into his emotional life 
In English, we hear how great is distress. I mean, that's, what is distress? It's almost like a, a chaos, a panic, um, a, a, a severe discomfort, a, a, a fear of what's coming. How great is my distress? The Greek word means to be compressed, or it's used of a besieged city. Uh, this is one of the horrible ideas from history, right? A city besieged by another nation, and there's starvation and ruin and chaos. And so this word, Jesus says, I feel like a city that's being besieged. I'm afflicted. And he lived, there's a reason he's talking so intensely. He's feeling so intensely. He lived under this burden at this time of his life, this horrible burden. What is this baptism that makes him feel this horrid, horrid distress? It's the cross. You remember pictures in the garden of Gethsemane where he's actually sweating blood? Evidently, this physical process that can happen under great distress. When your skin opens in such a painful way, you actually sweat blood. It is the knowledge that before he casts the fire, he undergoes the fire. It is the knowledge that he himself will pay every last penny for the sins of his people. You know, you, you look at this passage, you might say, oh, Jesus isn't very loving you don't know how loving he is. He's the magistrate you can make the deal with. On the way to judgment, hey, Jesus, can you and I talk? <laughs> if I get before God the Father with what I've thought and what I've said and what I've done and how I haven't loved and, and everything else, I can't pay that. And Jesus here, the magistrate, will be like, Trust me as your treasure and I'll pay it for you. Really? Because I can't pay any of it. I, I got it. Every last penny. I got it. Look at the heart of Jesus. Trust Jesus, folks, and find peace. These are prerequisites to peace. And I was looking through Luke the prostitute at the dinner, remember her? She's washing his feet while he's eating dinner with this <laughs> religious leader. One of the great, weird, beautiful, awkward scenes in the Bible. What did Jesus say to her, Luke seven fifty, To the prostitute who trusted him. Your faith has saved you. Go in what? Peace. Did he come to bring peace? Yeah. Peace with God. Luke 8, 48, the lady who was bleeding, who was ostracized, nobody cared about her. She, she reaches out and touches him and she's healed. What does he say to her? Luke 8, 48, and he said to her, what's that first word? Daughter. It's exactly what she and everybody else needed to hear. A word of inclusion and love and preciousness. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You have peace. I've taken care of it. 
Luke 24, 36. The first thing that Jesus seems to say, at least in this room to these disciples, Luke 24, 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them what? Peace to you. I died, I'm alive. Peace. This is what we're gonna look at next week, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that's it's the same idea as the magistrate, right? Where the judge says, there's no more debt to pay. It's been paid. I see, I see you now as righteous, like Jesus. I've taken all your sins, paid for them on the cross. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, by what? Faith. There's, there's not a mountain you need to climb. There's not something you have to atone for or fix. Trust yourself to Jesus. Since we've been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that every aspect of our lives where we don't have peace now, you trust Jesus, it all gets better immediately. (laughs) No, but it does mean it will all get better one day. And you have the most important thing now, peace with God. And when that fire comes, it will not judge you. You're right with the Father. So let's sum it up. Prerequisites to peace. First thing, check your treasure. Pray that out. Pray that you'll see who Jesus is and you'll love him more than anything else. And that you'll stay on that road even when it causes division. Number two, check the time. If you're in that middle ground of I'm gonna love Jesus one day, sober up according to this text. The window's open. Walk through it. Number three, check in with your accuser. You can be right with the judge. Your debt paid. The fire quenched because Jesus died on the cross for you. Trust that. Trust that. And as you do, know that you have the love of God and you have his peace. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.